Morning. Happy first Sunday of October. It's a great day out there yesterday. No, today was a nice day as well. It'll get there. Glad to be with you here this morning. We are in this series, as that video introduced. This is actually our fourth week, but third habit. Uh, we'll talk about this morning. Hopefully many of you got one of these and are actually using them. That is a habits journal. If you didn't, you can get them on your way out this morning. Let me say something about these habits. And if you haven't been here these last couple of weeks, it's very easy to catch up. I would encourage you to do that. It's the beauty of technology. But these habits, you could say, um, are partly sequential. Right? The idea is that they're sequential. It doesn't always work that way, but they're sequential in this sense. We start, the first habit we talked about was spending time with God. And what we mean by spending time with God is, you know, as we talked about this, yes, reading the Bible, but more importantly, or equally as importantly, the, allowing the Bible, so you need, you need quiet time, focused time, to read you. Right? If it's not just a nice book, but it's actually a living word of God, it's something beyond any other kind of book. It's a living word. It's a, it's a, it's a window. It's truth in which God gets a hold of your heart. You not only need to read the Bible, but the Bible read you and then respond, right? And back to God in prayer, etc. So that was the first habit. Out of that comes the second habit, which is spending time with other people. The idea is that we want to take the truth that God is speaking to us and tease it out and work it out with other people. Right? I need people in my life as, as smart as I could get, you know, or much as I might be able to learn from the Bible in a sense of learning the truths of it, learning the, the nature of it, talking to God and having God talk to me. Those needs to be teased out. I need to be challenged. I need people to you know, speak the truth to me in love, to say, now that you know this, Rob, what are you doing about it? Okay? So our faith, spending time with God, needs to be worked out with people, spending time with people in an accountable community. And then the third habit is where you might say, where what God has put into us needs to begin to work its way out, which is what we're talking about here this morning. The third habit, which is knowing and use your gifts. But I would say this to you, kind of the premise of my minutes today, is it's this habit, if you want to think of them sequentially, where many people get hung up. Many people, some of us, maybe you've been Christians for many, many years, never really get past you might say the first two habits. All of the Christian life becomes sort of intake. Nothing wrong with it. Learning. Having people talk to me. Becoming smarter and more uh, uh, growing in my understanding of God's word. But it's not necessarily working its way out in my life. I'm not becoming the, a minister of the gospel in my everyday life. It's not the implications of the gospel are not working their way out into my life. Many people get stuck here. And this is the reason that I'm not engaged in ministry, that my life is really um, not what I wanted. It. I don't, it's not what I hoped it would be. It's the reason that I don't have the joy that other people may have or that the scriptures say I should have. The reason that my life doesn't have the kind of purpose that I feel like it should have is not because I haven't learned a lot. It's because I haven't got into the game. It's when we get into the ministry... When what God has put into us works its way out, that it begins to become alive in our lives, what I'm trying to say. Somehow we've come to believe, may ask yourself this question, that ministry, is what I'm really talking about, is for people who have time I don't have or have talents that I don't have. The reason I'm not engaged in ministry of various kinds is because the people that do that, they have time I don't have and they have gifts that I don't have. But the truth is... Hopefully this isn't the first time you heard this. You'll see it in a second in the passage. All of us are called students, 
young children even, um, adults, couples, people that are seniors. All of us are called to know and use our gifts, and it's in serving, as I'm saying here, that your faith actually matures. It's in serving that what God has put in you actually takes flight. 1 Peter chapter 4, just two verses This habit I want to unpack in the minutes I have. Know and use your gifts. Know and use your gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says these words. Each of you, each of you, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, there are four major gift passages. Those of you who have been in church for any length of time may know this. And those four passages, the other three are all in the letters of Paul, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. And all of them are lists. You're not going to get one of those today. We didn't get one. They're just summarizing, you know, the, the, the serving gifts and the speaking gifts. All of those are less. All of those are longer. Peter chooses not to go there. What Peter is interested in, verse 10 and 11, is not the gifts but the purpose of the gifts. They are central to your discipleship. And they are central, I'm talking about you engaging in ministry, they are central to you actually experiencing the life of Jesus more in your life today, okay? It's not extra credit serving. It's part and parcel of your discipleship. So two key, let's call them purpose statements from this passage from the Apostle Peter. Number one, your gifts are on loan from God. Maybe the most important thing I'm going to say today. Your gifts are on loan from God. Listen carefully, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have. So he's telling you, the gift's not that important. Okay? It's not important to me, Peter. Should use whatever gift you have to serve others as faithful stewards of the grace of God in its various forms. I think you know what that means. What is a steward? Maybe that's Bible speak. A faithful steward means, listen, it's not yours. Okay, If I gave you the keys to my lake house, which I don't have, but if I had one, okay, if I gave them to you, maybe you've had people do this to you. I'm sure you have. And you go, listen, weekend, you and your, your spouse, you and your friends, you can have it. The cupboards are full, the keys of the boat, the boat is full, it's all, enjoy yourself. It's just, enjoy, just please uh, turn off the lights and lock the door, have a great time, okay? It's a stewardship, right? It's not my lake house or your lake house if, if someone's doing this to you. It's not your boat, the food's not yours, everything else belongs to somebody else, and they're giving it to you and saying, I want you to enjoy it. Don't burn it down. Don't throw a party and, you know, uh, 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 hack off the neighbors. Don't start a fire and forget to put it out. But for the most part, be a good steward of it. It's not yours, but I want you to enjoy it, okay? Your gifts, it's what Peter's saying here, are on loan from God. It's not from you, these gifts. That's what he mentions. If he who speaks, she who speaks, as if they're speaking the words of God. He who serves, she who serves, as they do it with the strength that God provides. Making a point. 
It's not from you. It's not about you. Listen, it's not for your personal fulfillment. Do this with the strength God provides, verse 10, 11, that God may be praised. These aren't just nice Bible words. He's making a point. It's not about you. It's not about you being praised. So get over yourself. And some of that's just pride, but some of this, that's what's keeping you from getting in the ministry game. Because you think it is about you, and I'm not going to do this until I know I'm going to do a very good job until I know I'm fully qualified. It's God's strength. It's God's praise. You might say, it's not, for, it's not from you, it's not about you, it's not for your personal fulfillment. But you say, well, listen, are you trying to say to me, Rob, that serving God does not bring personal fulfillment? No, not at all. Not at all. I would say this to you. I don't think there's anything else that you can do in your life, even if you have an amazing career, and many of you do, you know, teachers and doctors and students and, and, and all kinds of interesting things that people do in this room or listening to me today. I would say this, that serving God in various ways, having the power of God pulse through your, your veins, that the ideas of God into your mind and the power of God on your fingertips... There is nothing more satisfying, nothing more meaningful than you will do in all of your life, nothing that you can achieve that will be as fulfilling. But, but, the joy is in knowing that God is actually doing it through you, both in it and after it. The joy that I'm looking for, the joy that you're looking for is to know that this conversation, this small group, this service, this event, this purpose, whatever it is, is the joy that's knowing. It's this overwhelming sense that it is not you, that it is actually God. That's what brings the joy. Your gifts are on loan from God. The, all four of the Gospels, listen carefully, um, have, a, have a story of the, of the meeting of the, of the first disciples. It's a big part of the story. And one thing that's interesting, you ought to think about this as you read the Bible, you are supposed to see yourself in the person of the disciples because that's what we are. It's written for a purpose, right? And the interesting thing about the story of the disciples, forget, forget about the book of Acts and, and, and post, you know, uh, the rest of the story, but when the disciples are found by Jesus and walk with Jesus and do ministry with Jesus, it's mostly unspectacular, on their part. They're not very interesting. They're not very successful. If all you had was the Gospels, you'd probably say, I'm not signing up to be one of those because they're mostly failure stories. But the point is, that's an invitation to you and me. If, if, the, if I looked at the life of the disciples and they were all these incredible men and women who were just had just demonstrated tremendous faith time after time, I'd say, well, there's no point in me even getting involved, Right? That's not who they are. So in the, in the disciples, in, in Luke's version, um, Luke chapter 5, almost the entire story, if you read it on your own, Luke 5, is all focused on one person, Peter. James and John just get a mention that says the other fishermen. But it is the story of the first disciples, and here's what happens. Many of you heard it, but listen carefully. Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee. As far as you know from Luke's gospel, it's the first time he's met these friends. He might have met them, but it says the first time their names appear. And Jesus is speaking. Let's say I'm right here. I'm, I'm, on the, I'm, 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 on the, I'm on the edge of the seashore. 
you guys are this big crowd and Jesus is speaking. And, and as they're speaking, of course, Jesus says, he commandeers a boat. So they're on the Sea of Galilee. He says, hey, can I get in your boat? Turns out to be Peter's boat. So that I can just get in the boat, get a little distance so I can project better. No sound equipment in the, you know, in the early 2,000 years ago. They said, fine, get in the boat. So Jesus begins to teach. He teaches for a long time. You assume a couple hours. When he gets done, he says, listen, we need to feed these people. Because many of these people didn't just come from around the corner. They came from miles and miles away. You've got to feed them. So he says, hey, Peter. Simon, actually his name is Simon. Simon, cast your net on the deeper waters on the other side of the boat. Wasn't very deep, but you're the sure. And he says, so we can get some fish. Now, Peter says, this is a close paraphrase. Jesus, we have been fishing all night. Fishing is, I'm a professional. Fishing is a late morning, 3 to 6 a.m. kind of job. Those hours are over. We actually did fish this very lake last night from 3 to 6, and we didn't catch a thing. And the chance that we're going to catch something now at 11 a.m. is next to zero. But, this is is what he says, because you say so, what are you going to do? You're in the middle of all these people. He's the the speaker. He's He's the main attraction. I'm not. So Peter says, because you say so, I'll do it. So Peter throws his net over let's say, on the out heading in the direction of the lake, but they're still not in very deep water, at least it, unless the, the way the story goes. Now, this is what happens. You know this, where I'm going with this, or you, you know the story. Immediately, the nets are so full that can barely... He has to call his friends in the other boat. You assume it's James and John, right? He has to call his friends in the other boat. Then, that's not over. Now both of the nets are so full, they're taking the fish. This is what they do. They, don't, you know, they, they take the fish into the boat. So they take the fish into his boat and in the friend's boat and says this in Luke 5. The, 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 there were so many fish that the boats began to sink. Now think about that. Now you have to ask yourself a question. Let's say the story's over right there. And you say to yourself, as I did, rereading it and saying, what's the point of that story? And if the, if the story ended there, you'd say, I guess the point is Jesus wants people to know that he's pretty powerful. You know, it almost seems overkill to me. Like Jesus is demonstrating his power. He says, I want you to know who I am. Don't ever doubt me because you just wanted a little feed, you know, a couple hundred people. I'm going to give you enough fish for a, you know, a lot, for a lot, of, time, a lot of people. That's not the point. Because then Peter says... He's in the boat. There's fish up to his waist. It says Peter got down on his knees. Think of how that would have been an odd-looking thing. In the midst of all these fish, in the boat. And he said to Jesus, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now ask yourself this question. Why did he say that? You're supposed to ask yourself this. There's nothing in that account that I can see. Jesus, Peter didn't do anything sinful. I mean, there's, at least there's no record of it. He didn't, you know, use some sour language. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, uh, he, the, nothing in that passage would give you indication that he needed to ask Jesus for forgiveness or call himself a sinner, except what is very obvious. That what he's saying is, listen, while you, Jesus, were working this miracle through me, let me tell you what was going on in my mind. I was doubting you. I was criticizing you and saying, this is a bad idea. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but I'm only going to do it 
because he told me to, and I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin this moment, okay? This is why. And you know what Jesus says to Peter? You'd think it would be his one up, 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 comeuppance kind of moment to Peter. He says, don't be afraid, Simon, because I have a bigger job for you. And now you're going to catch men. What's the point? Peter, Jesus is trying to say this to Peter. Listen. The sooner you figure out that this isn't about you, right, the sooner your life is going to change, right? In fact, this miracle is not about you. The catching men, that one's not going to be about you either. Your gifts are on loan from God. I was, um, I told you guys this um, before, some of you. Um, I was a missionary 20 years ago. Went back this summer to, with my friends on a um, reunion trip to where I was, South Central Europe, Kosovo. And this trip, we just kind of planned it, you know, quickly, no advance notice. We were there. Really, it was just kind of a look and see, uh, go see your old friends and, 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 and stuff. And, and many people that we had worked with, we just showed up unannounced. We were there for a couple of days. Just imagine, I haven't seen you in 20 years. You know, we did some work with you. One of the last people we visited was one of the first houses, families, we were doing home, rehabil- home renovation after this horrible war that happened 20 years ago. A lot of houses burned, people killed, all this stuff. But we were working with these people. That was our entree in. We were Christians, but that was our way in. And uh, one of the last visits was one of the first houses we ever did. I have not seen these people in 20 years. Knock on the door, out comes this family. Now, imagine, haven't seen them in 20 years. This woman comes out. She grabs a hold of me. It was the tightest hug I think I've ever had. And she held on to me, you know, it felt like five minutes. If you saw a film clip of this, you would have thought, he's either her MIA husband, who just came back from the war, or brother. I mean, someone that she thought was dead. Okay? She got out of that embrace. We went inside. Her husband, same thing. We went in, sat down, saw some, looked at the house, which they've done a lot, uh, you know, fixed it up in the years since I was there, showed pictures of their kids who I knew as little kids who are now young adults. We had a good time. Then we walked out. When we walked out, she gave me another embrace. He did too. Kissed me multiple times, you know. That's what their style. And between every kiss on either side of my cheek, she said this, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now, we weren't giving them anything, right? This was gratitude of something that happened 20 years ago. But here's what I walked away with. I believed then, and I even believe now, that God did amazing things through me. But even more now, and 20 years later, I realized more than ever, it was never about me. It was not about me. Your gifts, my gifts, are on loan from God. And you know what? The reason things take longer than they need to in my life and in your life, some of you in this room today, God, when are you gonna, when are you gonna, when are you gonna, let me tell you what. The reason things take longer to evolve or materialize in your life is because of your pride. That's the problem. You need to get out of your own. It's not about you. It was never about you. They're God's gifts. And all you need to do is be obedient and say yes. Second thing, your gifts are 
discovered in service, okay? Your gifts, this is so important. You will not find the answer to what is my gift, Rob, by introspection or simply by taking a test. It's an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. And listen, one thing often leads to another, right? You say, well, I'm not good at uh, you know, serving kids or being a small group leader or working in, uh, in some you know, local ministry with, with various and some. I'm not good at that. I, that would never be my thing. Guess what? You know what Jesus said to Peter? I'm not here to help you build the biggest fishing industry in Gilead. I want you to be an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher. That has nothing to do with fishing. Serving is the test. You, see, you have to say yes to one thing before you're ever going to find out what it is that God really is calling you to do. Serving. Your gifts are discovered in service. Service is not extra credit. It's central to your discipleship. Listen, it's central to the experience of the quality of life that you long for, that I long for. Some of you have been looking for as a, as a Christian for decades. And you don't want to admit out loud, how come I don't see that kind of experience in me? How come I don't have that joy? How come I don't have that kind of peace? How come I just complain about things? Well, it's because the first two habits are okay, but you're not in the ministry. Your gifts are discovered in serving, right? All of us have been given time, talent, and treasure from God. The question is, what are you doing with it? Now listen to Paul's words, the other passage, where gifts are mentioned, but listen to the emphasis. Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Almost the same thing Peter said. Now he's going to mention some gifts. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's courage, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The emphasis is not on where you're serving, but that you're serving. That's what he's saying. Get busy. Some of you, many of you, um, know the name Anne-Marie Soreau. Um, if you don't know her, you'll, you'll be reminded of who she is in this video. But you know her as one of our amazing interpreters. Not Julie, who's standing here now, but she's one of our amazing interpreters. And um, a couple years ago, she had one of the hardest seasons in her life. And during that very, very hard season in her life, she came to the place and said, you know what? God is done with me. Right? God is done with me. There's nothing else for me to do. But God had other plans. Watch this video. I f kind of felt like I don't have a lot of skills to offer. I, you know, you hear they're looking for help with all kinds of things, you know, a handyman or IT or can you paint a house or fix a car and sew and none of those things are me. So I just kind of had to wonder, well, what do I have that I can do that's practical.
when you send your youngest off to college and they're both uh, long distance away, um, even though I'd been serving all this time, suddenly there's this, there's this palpable void that you don't really know what that feels like until you're in it, especially when they're a good distance away. And at the time, or not long after, there was um, a meeting for coming alongside refugee families. And I want to say, you know, that there was this moment of, here am I, Lord, send me. But that's not really how it works. It was more like, what can I do so I don't lose my mind? I attended the meeting and said, well, Pascal and I speak French. I don't know what we can do with that. Um, if there's some refugee families that speak French, we'd love to meet them. And that's about it, just we'd love to meet them. I don't know what else I could do once I meet them, but... So they pair us with a family from the Democratic Republic of Congo, the Mfame family, and uh, we are going to meet them. And on the way to meet them, they're telling us about the family and tell us that their youngest daughter, Nayenge, happens to be deaf. And this was the first of several astonishing moments because the coordinator didn't know I was an interpreter. We just said we spoke French, nothing about sign language. Anyway, I meet this young woman and um, she, she has no way of communicating. Uh, deaf since birth and no language, spoken, written, signed, or otherwise. And that really sparked um, a fire in me of there needs to be a way for, for some change for her. Just a couple weeks earlier, I had given away a box of clothes, and in that box of clothes was this coat, my youngest daughter Sophie's coat that I loved, she loved, and I really wanted to find a home for this coat. Two weeks later, we pull up to Tegma Lake, Ontario. We pull up, Nyange's wearing Sophie's coat. I, I mean, I, I nearly lost my mind. I, I jump out of the car, I run over to her, I wanted to make sure it was hers, and I knew how I could tell if it was. And of course, I can't explain to her why I'm so emotional and excited, but it was, and I, I, I couldn't explain it to her. She, I, she had no way of understanding me, and, um, but I explained it to her mom, and it just blew my mind. And it was just this moment where I kind of felt like God was just winking at me, going, I got you, I see you. From there, when I realized she was sitting at a school all day, a hearing school with hearing peers and hearing teachers, and no access to education, language, really any kind of communication, like I said, that fire in me just kind of got ignited. And I found out that Rochester Deaf Refugee Advocacy Organization had also invited them to some sign language classes, and a member of that group was Browncroft's own Rob Towney. So I contacted Rob and said, you know this family? He said, yes. I said, we need, he said, yes, we need to get her to RSD, Rochester School for the Deaf. So he and I got the ball rolling, a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of paperwork, but in a couple months time, amazingly, uh, we got her at, uh, as a residential student at Rochester School for the Deaf where she was among deaf peers, being able for the first time to learn and communicate about the world around her. So fast forward, and we've invited the Mfaumi family over. We haven't seen them in, you know, the Nyangas family, we hadn't seen them in almost two years. And we have them over, and I get to converse with this young woman who's been at RSD now for three years, learning language, and I, my jaw's on the floor. 
she's able to tell me about her classmates, about her classes, about the sports teams she's on. She's telling me how she felt when she moved to this country. She could express her feelings. She said, yeah, I was in a hearing school and I was alone and I was afraid. And now I have friends and I play volleyball. And, and she's telling me things that just three years ago she didn't have the ability to express. You know, this, this moment of realizing it wasn't that, oh, you know, I'm going to do this good deed and this self-sacrifice. It's almost God saying, if just give me the opportunity, I'm going to bring you along on a journey that you have no idea you're going to be blessed by. And you feel like, oh, I need to do this self-sacrificing thing, but it's really an opportunity for me to show you that I see you. Mic drop. It's as if God was saying, if you'll just give me the opportunity, if you'll trust me, not about you, I want to take you on a journey that will be a blessing to you. I really just want an opportunity to let you know that I see you. Okay? That I see you. <laughs> Ephesians 2 10. Listen to these words now, having saw that video, listen to this talk. For we are God's handiwork. The we, that's me, that's you. Okay? I'm not talking to anybody special, the body of Christ. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not only His gift, His power. Even the things are about him. He has prepared you to do them. Here's a woman who's in a bad place, in a, in not only you know, in, in her heart, had a, a, a season of difficulty in her life, and she says, well, she didn't even say, the first she just goes, my husband and I speak French. She didn't even mention in the beginning, I also am a deaf interpreter. But guess what? God knew that. And God said, okay. I, that's all I need to know. I just want to take you on a journey. And on that journey, I'm going to bless you. I just want an opportunity to let you know that I see you. Do you believe that statement we just read? That God has prepared in advance good works for you. Do you believe that, number one? And two, what are you doing about it? Service is the test, right? Your gifts are discovered in service. I'll put this website up. Let me just say this. Some of you are already in the game. Keep on keeping on. But you know what's interesting to happen in the COVID experience this season in COVID is we've had a sort of a changing of the guard. In other words, you, as you know, a year or so ago, the whole church was shut down for five months. Then we slowly got back in and we're still getting back in, Right? And in many cases, there was a changing of the guard. I'm talking about the people that were in children's ministry, family ministry, um, worship ministry, um, parking lot ministry, and our local partners for very sundry reasons. Some people, you know, they're, they're, they're a little skittish on coming back. They have various and sundry reasons. But some cases, I think, people were ready to go from catching fish to catching men, right? And so now it's an opportunity 
for others who felt like it's, I don't have the time, I don't have the gifts, now it's your turn, right? That's how God works. So for some of you, if you're not serving, right? Let me tell you what happens if, you, if you're in a church, even if it's a great church, even if your pastor is a phenomenal speaker and the music's great and all the services are, even if all of that were true or is true, let me tell you something. If you don't get in the game, you, you, you eventually become sick in heart, sick in mind, and you become a critic. It's the nature of life. Because you, it's not, it was never meant to be just about what God's putting in you. It's about what God has put in you to find, take flight in the world around you. His power, his gifts, right? His grace. But you have to take an act of obedience. Peter, put this, throw the net on the other side of the, of the, of the boat. Really, Jesus? That's a bad idea. That's a dumb idea. Just do it. Just do it and see what happens. Okay? So I want you to do that. Now we're going to do this as an application. Okay? Serving, let me say the last point. Your gifts are on loan from God. Your gifts are discovered in service. Gifts, plural. One thing leads to another. And third, serving is the way of love. Listen very carefully before we take communion. What do I mean by serving is the way of love? Jesus said these famous words. Remember, we're, we're talking, these habits are about discipleship. Discipleship's about following Jesus, right? Following Jesus is not just an assent to theological doctrines. It certainly is that. It's beyond an assent, right? I have, these doctrines have to do their work in me. It's about a lifestyle. It's about a quality of life. Get, Jesus said this to his disciples in Mark 3. What I have done... And he was talking then about healing and exercising demons. Get out and you do it. He sent them on a journey without him. That's the point, okay? Jesus, the famous words, Mark 10, 45, says this. Jesus said to his disciples, to you and me, I came not to be served, but to serve. Now, why did he have to say that statement? Because people thought, a lot of people were confused about the Messiah, the first and second comings are conflated in the Old Testament. And many people thought, Jesus is coming. He is the Messiah. He's going to take charge and take names and get the Romans off our backs, change the taxation system. He's going to make all things in the world right. He's going to set the world to rights. Okay? He's going to get these bad politicians off our back. And he's going to make us our, the, the, the rough ways, the rough plains, the, the rough mountains, a smooth valley for our lives. See? See, that's what many of us still think as Christians, right? We're, we're up to here with politics because we think that's what it's about. That's not what it's about. Jesus said, I came not to be served, I came to serve. Now, there's this thing called the second coming. Oh, that's very different. In the second coming, he's going to take names and take charge. And all the wrong things in the world are going to be set right. Okay? The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That's at the second coming, and that's his work. Not mine, not yours. He says, right now, here's your job. I came not to be served, but to serve. And because I've met the deepest needs in your heart, get rid of your pride, let go of your hang-ups and your, and your biases and your neediness, and go out there and give yourself for others in this broken world. That's what this is about.
That's what this is about. I came not to be served, but served. That's not just a summary of the gospel. It's also a summary of what discipleship is. I came not to be served. God did serve me. Oh, my goodness. That's what this represents. He served me in the most amazing of ways by dying for me. And, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. Romans 5.8. One simple verse that says, God looked past all of your, um, your, your, your crimes, your sins, your pride. He looked past all of them. He kissed you awake. He loved you. He died and he rose from the dead. And he said, I don't care what you did. I love you and you are mine. Right? That's the love of God. That's what we're celebrating here. It's, re, it's a reaffirmation to say, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Thank you for your amazing love. Help me to know more in my experience what I'm, I know in my head about the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's more than that. It's also a commissioning. Help me to follow you. What does it mean to follow you? I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life, not as an atonement for other sins, but as a, de- as, as a service to show them the love of God. Love one another as I have loved you by this. All men and women will know that you are my disciples. On the night he was betrayed, you can go ahead and pull off the top transparent piece of plastic. He took the bread and he broke it. And he passed it to his disciples, the Passover meal, and he said, this is my body or represents my body which will be broken for you in a very short time. Let's eat together. When supper was ended, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup represents this wine represents my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins, including yours. The new covenant begins today uh, for you. Let's drink together. Anne Marie, thank you. She happens to be in the service. It's okay. I want to just say Niange and her family are here. Thank you so much for being with us. We love you. Thank you for joining us today. Last thing before I pray is um, we have a mercy offering. Some of you know about that, but some of you don't. You can do that at home as well. What's the point of the mercy offering? Um, It's for helping people in our congregation, on the edges of our congregation, um, uh, friends, strangers in our community. It's, it's, it's monies used to help people in critical needs. We do it every first of the month and not a penny. Okay, we don't keep 3% for overhead or whatever, okay? Not a penny of that money is kept. Okay, I just want you to know that. You can verify that through Mike. So that's what that's for. You want to take advantage of that. You can do that when you leave. 
Let me pray. God and Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being here today. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, that is to say, in faith and Christ in this room and new friends and online as well. Lord, we love you and we just come to you, Lord. We, we just confess to you that, Lord, um, you know, we get in our own way. We think we're something that we're not and that keeps us from real engagement with you and better engagement with the world. Help us, Lord, to know that our whole lives are really about the grace of God, really. The whole life is playing catch-up to this ordinance we just did, this, this supper we just shared, this, this communion meal, to, to catch up in our thinking, our being, our doing with the radical love of God that not only gave us forgiveness of sin, but calls us to a whole new way of life. Help us, Lord, to um, surrender our pride and our fear and to, Lord, join you in small and in, in not so small ways in the, in the remaking of this world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen.